And so let's begin our talk with a Bible verse. This is the passage that I derive the principle that undergirds the the presentation tonight from Luke chapter 14, verse 28 through 30. Jesus gives this story. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So much common sense wisdom from the words of Jesus. Is that right? We're sitting inside a church building here that was constructed not long ago. Could you imagine if the church board in this organization said, let's break ground, let's pour foundation without ever drafting up a budget to consider how much we estimate this building is going to cost. No one would ever do that when we're talking about a building project. But in the enterprise that we call our everyday lives, we happen to disregard this counsel all the time. So what is this called? This practice, this activity of counting the cost. To put it simply, it's called budgeting. Okay, but I'm not going to use that word. We're going to use a different word. It is called having a plan. Having a plan. The word budget, you know, it's kind of creepy crawly. It makes you feel terrible. It's like you got to go on a diet. Who likes to go on a diet? Right? Being on a budget. Who wants to be on a budget? But we want to have a plan. And that's actually what Jesus was talking about. And to have a plan, in short, is we need to start with the end in mind. So, what I'm going to present to you today is a threefold planning process. And it includes three different types of plans that all in total, when we take it in... um, in a comprehensive way, this is actually what gives us proper budgeting. We start first with our financial goals. We're going to start with the goals because we want to start with the end in mind. What are we trying to do? We want to build a tower. We want to build a church. We've got to start with the goal. And then we work back and we look at, okay, based on those goals, what are the long-term and short-term saving plans I'm going to need to accomplish those goals? That's the second type of plan. And then that then leads us to the third type of plan, which is what most commonly we associate with a budget, which is our monthly spending plan. Okay, you understand the the three types of plan that that comprises uh, the way that we budget. So how do these three types of plans relate to each other? So first, we start with our financial goals. And the financial goals will feed into our long-term and short-term savings. They tell us what we're saving for how much to save for, and so forth. And how much we need to save then helps us determine how much we can actually spend. And when we get into the monthly spending process, we're going to need to recalibrate things because life happens and things are going to change and there's going to be uh, twists and turns in life. And so that feeds back into Uh, the long-term savings. And so there is a little bit of a virtuous cycle here where the savings inform our spending and then our spending also informs our savings. And I'm going to show you all of this in a moment. So let's drill down into each of these three categories. Let's start with financial goals. What are financial goals? Well, these are all the things that require financial resources to achieve. These are all the things that we want to spend money on, to put it simply. So going to college, 
one of the most expensive ticket items probably we'll ever spend in our lives. Starting a career, perhaps it is getting certification, or maybe it's starting a business. It requires financial resources. Okay, maybe we're getting married, either ourselves or perhaps our children. We have to have resources for that. Buying a home, the other perhaps largest uh, purchase that we'll ever make in our life, buying a home. Purchasing a car. Uh, we talked about that last time. For those of you who missed it, we discussed how do you buy a car without a car loan, all right? So you can review our last session for that if you want more information. And actually, we're going to be reviewing that again in this presentation later as well. What about a vacation? Or uh, we're going to have a baby, paying off our debt. We want to go on a mission trip, whether short-term or long-term missions. It's going to take money. Our children's education, saving for retirement, right? These are all financial goals. Nothing terribly surprising here. We got to start there. And then we have to ask these questions. These are the three questions from the financial goals that then feed into our long-term and short-term saving plan. Number one, how much money will it cost? And notice I put in parentheses a secondary question, which is not always the same, which is what can I afford? How much it costs and what can I afford might not be the same number, you realize. There's a saying regarding saving and purchasing something. You can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. So you can save up and buy a Lamborghini, but that might be the only thing you ever buy in your life. But you're not gonna be able to have a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and a Porsche and a Maserati, right? Like, you can't have everything. So the, the question has to be realistic. Not just what the ticket item costs, but how much can I realistically afford? We'll come back to this thought in just a moment. Number two is also important, when do I need this money? How much time do I have? And then based on that, how much do I need to start saving now? Generally, we think of it in a monthly basis. So back to this idea of what can I afford? We talked about one of the financial goals might be a wedding. So I did a little bit of digging and as of 2022, the average wedding cost in America is $30,000. So some young lady bride-to-be might think about this and say, you know what? I want to be above average. <laughs> and they just think, oh, I want this fairy tale princess wedding. And well, $30,000, that's what it's supposed to cost. That's what the cost might be, but is that really what we can realistically afford? That's the more important question. And I can tell you, uh, for my household, yeah, $30,000 is, is not realistic. And let me just give a number here. So you notice here the entertainment uh, for the live band for the average wedding cost is $3,900. Uh, well, my wife and I, when we had our wedding, our entire wedding, let me preface this, making sure we had a real wedding in a real church with real people. It was not a courthouse wedding. We had about 200 people. We actually fed them, all right? We had real flowers. We were dressed, you, you know. You, you realize why I have to preface this. It cost us $3,000. And I know I pre presented this before in some older couples would raise their hand and say, our wedding was way less than that. Yes, I know, <laughs> I know. So 3,000 is definitely doable in this day and age, but you notice for less than the cost of a live band in an average wedding, we had our entire wedding. So if the question is not so much, how much can we afford sometimes? It's okay, what is the value? Like what are we trying to achieve and what is the most efficient way of accomplishing it? 
And by the way, this does not include our honeymoon, okay? I just want to make sure I get that straight. Um, but this is the type of thinking that we need to go through initially before we get down to the nuts and bolts of the every month type of spending. And I'm going to explain. I think it'll become clear why this starting with the end in mind is so important. So now we have all of these financial goals, whether it's a wedding, buying a car, buying a house, college, savings, retirement, whatever it might be. Now we need to organize all of these plans, financial goals that we have into saving goals. And we break them down into long-term and short-term savings. Financial goals help determine what to save for. It helps us to keep the end in mind. It prevents us to go into debt, because that's really one of the goals here, because, oh, all of a sudden, we committed too much, so let's get out the good old American Express to help us out, and that's when we get into trouble. And the saving plan then gives us a target for what to save rather than simply what not to spend. That's really a key point we're going to come back to. And so we see financial goals now. It's going to be all of the financial goals organized together essentially is what comprises our long-term and short-term savings. So what's the difference between long-term and short-term? Well, what characterizes long-term? Anything more than five years is generally considered long-term. Five years or less, we consider that short-term. And long-term savings are funds that we can invest in higher-yielding instruments, whereas short-term savings, we want to protect the principal. So we want things that are insured, like the FDIC insurance, NCUA, T-bills, things of that nature. Long-term savings, we want to save consistently, like the tortoise running a marathon, whereas short-term savings, we need the money as soon as possible, so we think of it as a sprint. We're going to come back to this thought as well. So in summary, long-term, five years, more than five years. Short-term, five years or less. Long-term, think investing. Short-term, think savings. Okay, that's kind of the general difference, and there is a different uh, type of uh, investment vehicles, financial products that you would use, and I'm going to tease a little bit next week. We're actually going to go far more in depth into that next week. Okay, Long-term investment vehicles versus short-term will we'll give you a lot more information next week. But long-term savings, some examples, and short-term savings, some examples of these. Larger debts, we're thinking like a home mortgage, for example, 15-year mortgage, 30-year mortgage. That's long-term. Short-term, smaller debts. Uh, long-term savings, college fund. Short-term, emergency fund. House down payment, long-term. A wedding, a vacation, a trip, things of that nature, that's short-term. A retirement saving, that's long-term. Buying a car, toy, gadget, big purchase, things like that. Generally, you're not planning five years or more out for those types of things. So this is just general examples of what would, uh, how you would split the difference between long-term and short-term. So I think the best way to examine this, these ideas is to just give you a hypothetical example. Okay, so this is not a real person, but we're going to call her Nurse Fanny. And we're going to use her hypothetical situation here to illustrate what we are talking about. So Fanny has some long-term goals, and we've organized them here in a long-term saving plan. She has student loans that she wants to pay off in 10 years. She has $35,000 worth, and her monthly, the monthly amount that needs to go towards this uh, is $390. She has a house down payment that she wants to have in 10 years. $20,000 is the target that she herself came up with, and that will be $160 savings per month. And then she wants to retire in roughly 40 years. She's quite young, 
She wants $750,000, and she will need to save $220 per month. So in a total, she wants to save up $805,000 over a varying period of time. Now, these are ballpark figures, you realize. A lot of personal finance, it's not so much the precision of the projections that matter, it's the direction of where you're headed. So you want to be precise enough, but it's not absolutely necessary to get specifically to the dollar of what you're going for. Uh, ballpark figures generally is gonna give us a good enough um, direction to aim at. And when you get closer, as you get to the short-term time frame under five years, that's when you refine things down to be a little bit more precise. So that's why we're using very round numbers here. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is for her long-term goals, Fannie will need to save a minimum of $770 each month to reach her long-term goals. So what we've done is we've looked at her financial goals and we've distilled it down, her long-term goals, we've distilled it down to one number per month. One number. It simplifies things when it's just one number to remember. Now what about her short-term plans? She has short-term goals as well. And this is where things get a little bit more interesting. She has credit card debt that she wants to pay off ASAP. She has $6,000 worth of credit card debt. She needs an emergency fund. She has $0 saved up for an emergency fund. She needs $10,000 ASAP. She is gonna get married in about eight months and she either listened to the seminar or someone is supplementing her wedding expenses. Uh, she's got $3,000 to save in eight months. So that is $375 per month that she will need to save. She's going on a mission trip in 10 months. It's a total amount of $500 that she'll need to put forth for that. And so she needs to save $50 per month. She has a car loan currently. Uh, she owes $5,000 still. She has one year left or 12 months left and her monthly payments are $450. And she has a new, or she will need a new computer in five years and she wants to save a $1,500 for that, which is $25 per month. So in a total, since she needs to save $26,000 uh, over a less shorter than five year period. Now, we have some issues here because credit card debt and an emergency fund is kind of an emergency. Why? Well, suppose that we are living in the current day and age. High interest rates are compounding her credit card debt exponentially. So she's got to get out of that or else it's going to be this giant snowball that's going to swallow her up and it's going to compromise everything else that she wants to do. Well, why is an emergency fund an emergency? Well, it's in the name. She has no cushion, no margin in case something bad were to happen. So she needs to get on top of this as soon as possible. So what can she do about this? And this is where I interject a little bit of a review from last time about buying a car. She has this car loan that's hanging out on her uh, financial plan here. And so what about this car? So I'm gonna give you the car that she drives. She drives a Honda Accord. Fairly recent year, I don't know, maybe in the fat last, within the last five years. And it's currently still worth $24,000, but she owes $5,000 on it. So what, should, what can she do? She's in a unique situation, not so unique, but she's in a good situation in which she is not underwater on her car. So she still has value in the vehicle and quite a bit as it looks like. So what should she do in this situation? Sell the car. And I know this coming from someone who tends to be emotionally attached to my vehicles, it might be hard. 
because you might have memories in there, you've taken road trips, you know, with the kids or whatever it might be, but looking at the numbers, let's take a look at how this resolves a lot of her challenges. So she sells her car for $24,000, she pays back her $5,000 loan, and then she takes $5,000 of that and she goes and buys a used vehicle, and now she has $14,000 remaining of cash. With that $14,000, what is she able to do? Okay, back to this table here. Her credit card debt is gone instantly. $6,000 paid off, just like that. She's got $8,000 left, so she applies that $8,000 towards her emergency fund. And so now, even though it looks like still, oh, she still needs $2,000, you've got to remember, at least she's got $8,000 sitting in the bank as an emergency fund. So she's greatly reduced her financial risk because she sold the car. Just that one decision. But if you scroll down here, you notice we replaced the car loan with a new car savings fund for still $5,000. Now, why do we do that? If you remember, for those of you who are here, we discussed what's the secret to buying a car without a loan. The secret is instead of paying the bank your monthly payment, pay yourself the monthly payment first. If you have the money to pay the bank after you sign for the car, you have the money to put that towards savings before you sign. And so because you've gotten, you've re-inverted the situation where you are behind on payments, you're now ahead on payments because you've bought the car in cash, now you're saving up for your next car. And notice, there's a $30 per month difference because you're saving on interest. When you're saving the money, you don't have interest. There's a question here. So I'm just curious, where, what's she driving? $5,000 car. Because she bought, okay, let me, let me make sure you get this. She sold her car, but she bought a temporary car for $5,000. So she is driving an older vehicle with higher mileage. Sold it for $24,000. She sold her Honda Accord for $24,000. She paid off a $5,000 loan, but she took another $5,000 and she bought a second car. That's a used car, and I'm not telling you what kind of car she drives. I don't, I don't know. Maybe another older Accord. It has four wheels, that's fine. It's something that gets her to work. She's a nurse. She needs to get to work. So she does have to have a car. So thank you for clarification. I want to make sure you get that. She does need a car, but she just happens to be driving a car that is significantly cheaper. And notice it's called a temporary car. And when we come back to here, this is the reason, this line here is the reason why it's temporary because she's moving towards upgrading that vehicle. And what's going to happen? After one year, she will have the equity of the $5,000 vehicle. She can sell that, add it to her $5,000 that she saved up, roughly nine to 10,000 accounting for you know, depreciation and whatnot. And she can move up in a car in just 12 months. I got a question here. Where's the line item for mechanic? <laughs> <laughs> I will actually push back on that a little bit because I have been generous in giving her a $5,000 car. And I actually looked this up. For a $5,000 car, you can get a Honda Accord, same car, or a Toyota Camry with less than 100,000 miles. Facebook Marketplace. Yes, I have seen it with my own two eyes, so I know it is true. And so for a, for a Honda Accord or a Toyota Camry for under, under 100,000 miles, I dare say mechanic costs probably won't be too much yet, unless you bought a lemon. So you definitely want to make sure you don't get one of those. But the point here, is that she is saving up for another vehicle so that she doesn't have to keep driving an old car because that's not the long-term plan here. And within two years, 
You know, if she saves up 5,000 and then another year, another 5,000, and she has roughly 5,000 equity in her car, you're at about 15,000-ish, you know, with depreciation, it's gonna be a little less. If you figure that her other car has been depreciating during this time, you're pretty much back at about the equivalent vehicle that she would have had if she had kept it all this time. You understand what I'm saying? So it's a temporary state, okay, to get ahead of the debt cycle. All right, so that's the review for buying the car. Let's get back now to the, the savings plan. So what do we have here? Okay, let me, uh, so yes. So what we need to deal with now is the remaining $2,000 of that emergency fund. And like I mentioned, her risk has already been greatly reduced because she had gotten 80% of the way there. So she does have an emergency fund. It's just not fully topped up yet. So she does have a little bit of time now. And this is where, here are some ideas. When you need to squeeze out just a little bit of money to add to the savings, this is not a persistent long-term thing, this is when you look for stuff to sell. You've got some old stuff lying around, uh, whether it's a garage sale or eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, time to work a little overtime if your job permits that, getting a side job, getting creative. This is where if you have just that little bit of, of extra savings that you need to squeeze out from somewhere, that's when the intensity can kick up. For a short period of time, you have a little spurt of entrepreneurial zeal, sell something, do some odd job, use some hobby that you have, and get that $2,000 so that your emergency fund is topped up. Okay, so that's what Fanny did. And so we're in this, again, this hypothetical situation. She got her, I don't, that's a typo there, it was 10,000, but she got her emergency fund covered. So what does she have left? Now she has her wedding, the mission trip, the monthly savings for a new car, and then the computer. And when you add it all up, the total amount that she needs is $10,000 now. So what is the summary? The summary is that short term, she needs to sprint to $10,000 as soon as she can. But over the long term, she needs to maintain a pace of $770 each month. So this is why we break down short-term and long-term. Short-term is a sprint. Long-term is a marathon. But we need to simplify all of those big goals and ideas down to something that we can just remember and focus on every month. So we have two numbers. 10K, $770 each month. So Fanny's savings plan, it reveals her clear priorities in life. This is one of the things when you think about a budget or a financial plan or when we're looking at our financial goals, when you have to think about your priorities. What is most important? Because if you're going through this process and you're like, you know what? I can't have all of this. You're going to have to cut something out. And that process of cutting something out reveals your values, where your priorities are, what's most important to you. And it could be a very enlightening experience just going through the exercise. Moreover, the savings plan gives Fanny, uh, she knows exactly where all the extra money is supposed to go instead of just being spent. Have you ever been in this situation where, I don't know, you're just living life and you get some money from somewhere. Maybe it's a birthday or something that you didn't expect. $25 cash check, something like that. And you're just like, whoa, this is nice. I'm just going to go spend it. Until you realize later, oh, wait, I should have saved it for that. Well, when you have a plan, you know exactly where those dollars ought to go. You don't have to wonder, oh, maybe I should buy that new dress or buy that new pair of shoes or that new gadget. No, I've got a plan. 
Next, it gives a target number to save in a monthly spending plan. So this is the num these are the numbers that then we feed into our monthly spending so we have a target to shoot for. And also it gives a final target number for total savings, which helps define how much is enough. One of the big issues with a lot of financial uh, investment gurus is that they, they, they incentivize us just to have more for the sake of having more. But from a biblical perspective, we talked about it on the very first night together, the Bible discourages hoarding, this idea of just storing up treasure on earth where rust and moth doth corrupt. So we have to look at how much is enough. We need to know what that is. And this plan gives us uh, the big picture for that. John Maxwell once said, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And so this leads us to the monthly spending plan. So we have gone through the financial goals, how that bleeds into long-term and short-term savings, and now that number, the bottom line number of how much we need to save, gets fed into our monthly spending. Now, how does that work? All right, let me illustrate this to you. You're gonna list your monthly expense, or monthly income, rather, in your monthly spending plan, and then you're gonna list your projected monthly expenses. If you remember our very first night together, one of our homework assignments was to track your expenses. You gotta know what you're spending. You have to start there, and this is where it becomes practical. You gotta put it into your monthly spending plan. And then you want to assign dollar amounts to each category of expenses for the next month. So you see what you spent last month or this month, and then you then can project next week or next month, and you can assign how much you need to spend. The goal is to reduce spending so that as much can go towards saving as possible. Zero dollars is ideal. Now, let me put it this way. A lot of times when we look at budgeting uh, tutorials or guidelines or workbooks, they have little percentages. It's like, oh, housing, 33%. Groceries, 15%. Retirement, 10%. Whatever it might be, they put these percentages and they almost feel like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. The way that we should look at those uh, suggestions is just that. They are suggestions. They are guidelines. Or if I, the way I think of it is they are the most that we should spend. They're the top number, not the, not the recommended minimum. Because if you can reduce a budgetary line item to zero, that's the best. And what do I do? How do you reduce something to zero? Well, if it's a debt, for example, you pay it off so that you don't have that monthly payment anymore. That's ideal. To not have a mortgage payment is better than to have a 25% of your take-home pay in a mortgage payment. You understand what I'm saying? And in one example for us, in my home, we did pay off our house. We shared that story uh, last time. And then we had some extra cash that we were able to invest in solar panels. And we had this contract with the EPB, TBA, TVA here in, in Chattanooga. And they actually paid us a higher rate for the power we generate than to buy it from them. So every kilowatt hour that we generate, we actually get, a, we get paid from the electric company. So for our electric bill for a while, uh, we actually was less than zero because the utility was paying us, right? So when you are able to optimize your budget in such a way that you're not restricted by just, oh, I'm supposed to spend this percent, but actually throw off those limitations and say, hey, we can go down even spend less than that, that is going to give us the most uh, wiggle room to save more. The aim is to hit the targets from the saving plan, because we know now how much we need to save to hit our goals. 
And we want to review monthly to make sure we don't spend more than what we have allocated, and then we adjust from month to month. So let's take a look at Fannie's example. This is sometimes called an income statement or profit and loss statement if you're familiar with basic accounting. So you have your income and your expenses, and you have to see how much you have left over, which is also called net income, but we're calling that our savings amount. So she makes $3,600 per month. Okay, so this is on a monthly basis. And she has 15% uh, reserved for tithes and offerings. She spends $800 on rent, $330 on utilities and her cell phone, $300 a month on food, $350 on transportation, $330 on insurance, $340 on household supplies, $250 on recreation, and at the end, she still puts away 10%, or $360 per month. So she, by most American standards, is living within her means. And living within her means means she is above average in America. That's sad to say, but she's ahead of the curve. But we have to factor in her actual goals. Because we look at that and we say, she's doing fine. She's not going, you know, she's not overspending. She's not paycheck to paycheck. She still is able to save a little bit every month. She must be okay. But if we look at her actual net savings per month compared to how much she needs to save to reach her goals, we get a slightly different picture. She saves $360 per month. But remember, her long-term savings require her to save $770 per month. And her short-term savings is $10,000. So she doesn't even meet her $770 goal per month, and she doesn't have anything extra to put towards her short-term savings, so she's never actually going to reach her financial goals according to her current rate of savings. So this means Fannie has several options. She can adjust her savings goals. She can go back and say, okay, maybe I can't save this much. Maybe my, you know, my, my hopes and dreams are a little bit too out of reach, I need to adjust. She could do that. She could go and increase her income. Right? She could work more, get a raise, get another job, things of that nature. She could cut her spending, that's the other option, or she could do a combination of these things. And of course, every situation is gonna be different, but number five, I think is very crucial, resolve. It is important to resolve not to turn to debt as the easy way out, because debt is only going to exacerbate the problem and it'll come back to bite you. So for Fanny's example, I'm gonna see, okay, can, is it possible for her to accomplish these goals by merely cutting her spending? So you realize this is not the only way to skin this cat, but we're gonna use it as our example. So we see that if she can increase her savings rate from 10% to 30%, then her net savings will be $1,080 per month, she will have $770 to put towards her long-term savings, and she will have $310 left uh, to go towards her $10,000. And at that rate of saving, she will reach $10,000 in three years. So it is possible now. We see that, okay, we have a target. If I can squeeze my budget so that I can get to a 30% savings rate, then the plan can work. Okay, so this is the thinking process. And through the process, if it indeed shows up that, okay, 30% is just out of reach, that's when we, can, we know, okay, we gotta go back and use some of these other levers, either increase our income or adjust our goals, all right? So that's why we're starting with uh, just cutting our spending. And so this is the example of that cycle. 
The monthly spending is based on the long-term savings, and then once we go through the monthly spending process, it will reinforce uh, what we are saving for and inform us in that direction. So what does this mean? It means she needs to squeeze out an extra $720 per month, which broken down on a per day basis is $24 per day. When you think of it that way, it's not as insurmountable, but what does she have to do? Okay, so her new target, 30% savings. This is roughly what the amount of cutting that she's going to have to do. She's gonna to have to go down her, her uh, expense list and she's gonna to have to make some adjustments. Number one, rent. She was paying $800. If she can save $300, that's a significant savings. Now, how do you save on rent? Well, if, you're, if she's single, because she's not married, getting a roommate. Or if you are able to um, share your space uh, or rent out your space for storage. I've never done that, but I've heard some people do that. Uh, utilities and cell phone. I'm gonna talk a little bit about how we save on our cell phone plan in a little bit. Uh, what about food? $50, saving $50 per month. If she is eating out, that's like eating out one meal less every two weeks, or something like that. So that actually, I think probably she could do better than that. Transportation, maybe she's carpooling. Uh, insurance, she shops around, she's able to save. Household supplies, she's able to clip some coupons to save 40 bucks. Recreation, she's not going out nearly as much as before. So you can see that the little cuts all of a sudden add up. It may not be, it may not be possible at the end, but using this example, she was able to do it. And so she's able to reach the 30% savings rate now. To summarize, why we think of budgeting in this comprehensive type of manner, all right? So we've gone through financial goals, long-term, short-term savings, monthly spending plan, and you notice that our goal is not just merely spending control, it's savings maximization. This is a fundamental difference in the way that I approach budgeting, is that when we think of budgets, the reason why we conceive of it as a dirty word is because it's restrictive. It's telling us what we can't do, what we shouldn't do, why we're bad, and why we're doing things wrong, as opposed to, hey, this is what you can achieve. This is the goal that you're trying to reach. It answers the question of why. Sometimes we think of, you know, budgeting is like we have to slap ourselves on the wrist from not buying stuff. Well, why shouldn't I buy it? I have money in the bank. I can afford it. I deserve it. It makes me happy. Well, why shouldn't I buy it? Well, the answer now, we know why, is because I can either buy this dress or I can be you know, saving up for my vacation, right? Now you can see the goals that you're robbing from uh, to, to fulfill our impulse to buy things that we don't need. The means versus the end, it keeps the difference in mind. I have a picture of the Grand Canyon here. The Grand Canyon is a long drive from here in Tennessee. Imagine if I said, okay, our, our, our goal this vacation is to go on this road trip and not run out of gas. That's our objective, that's our destination. Would that make any sense? That's not a vacation. The Grand Canyon is our destination, but the means to get there requires us not to run out of gas. So when we think about budgeting, it's the same thing. When we think of it, uh, the, the traditional way of budgeting is you just gotta spend less. That just is telling people you don't, need, don't run out of gas while you're driving. What we need to be mindful of is what's the destination? Where are we going? What are we actually saving up for? That tells us the 
the why that we talked about just now. And it keeps the focus on the savings rate, what we're achieving rather than what we are restricted from doing. Because achieving goals make budgeting much more motivating. It's about attaining something, reaching a goal rather than beating ourselves up for things that we should not do. Okay? So, a couple budgeting tips here. If you are married, the Bible says you have become one flesh, and that means your money too. And if you are single, then you can think about this in the person you choose to marry. Whoever you marry is likely going to be the most significant financial decision you ever make. Not just decision, but financial decision. So in the home, assign one person to be the financial, the primary financial caretaker. So whoever enjoys it more, whoever's better with numbers and math and spreadsheets, like pick that person. Because as the saying goes, uh, you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. You just want, and also, you know, you, want, you don't want the left hand to not know what the right hand is doing, you know, mis mishaps, things get double entered, and you know, that kind of thing. It's just a matter of logistics. But the more important part is that you need to create and review your savings and spending, spending plans together. You, you need to agree on your goals. That's where the one flesh concept has to come into place. You can't be pulling in opposite directions because guess what? You will end up going in different directions and it's gonna be very painful. So you want to work together, but then you have one person that's got the hand on the wheel, right? You don't want, just like driving a car, you don't want both hands on the wheel from both people. One person can drive, the other person can do the GPS, read the map, whatever it might be. Okay, and then also you want to set a dollar amount over which no purchase occurs without joint discussion. Set that dollar amount. It is going to save your marriage. It might be $20, it might be $100, it might be $200. You and your spouse agree on that number. And so if you're a, a, a guy and the, the fellow says, hey, let's go on this trip, let's go out and do this, or let's go play around a golf, and you, you know that it's going to be above the dollar amount, you just say, hey, look, guys, I, it's just a family policy. We do not do things without consulting if it is above a certain amount. Your friends might make fun of you, but inwardly, they're gonna respect that. And uh, your wife is going to love you for it. So this, I believe this principle uh, could save many marriages. So other practical tips, you want to ex expect at least three months to ramp up if you have not done it before. And this is not just for married couples, it's just for anyone starting to get on a monthly spending plan. You're gonna need some data, right? Three months worth of data usually, and then also three months of just practice. Because you're going to be tweaking and adjusting and you're going to make some you know, wrong turns and that's okay. This is going to be a lifelong process and once you get into the groove of things, before long it becomes second nature. It's like driving a car. You'll want to include fun money in the budget for each other. So it's like an escape hatch. One of the things that I recommend to people is if there is a spending habit or tendency of someone to spend in the family, Create that in the budget and say, this is a judgment-free amount of money in the budget that you can do whatever you want with. I have a friend of mine, they did this, husband and wife, and the husband took the money and he would, he would resell stuff. He loves to resell stuff. So he'd buy it from Craigslist, touch it up, sell it for a profit. So he would take this little bit and he would like grow it, this play money that he had, and his wife would just go shopping. And then one day, she found out how much he had and she's like, that's not fair. And then all of a sudden, they have this nice conversation, and then she realizes, oh, 
there's a different way of thinking about it. And then not only that, she began to respect him being the financial breadwinner of the home and realize, hey, he actually knows what he's doing. This was early on in the marriage, of course. They're still happily married today. And so some of these little tricks in the budget can actually uh, be kind of fun. And then you want to celebrate the victories together. You get out of debt, you pay off that student loan, you pay off the car, whatever it might be. Make it a point of celebration, a point of unity, which is the last point here, for the family. And if you have children, these opportunities around the dinner table can be the instruction time to teach whether from successes or failures and also bring the family together in a way that money is not tearing us apart, but it can be a point of unity for the family. And so this is a worksheet that if you are interested in, uh, it is Microsoft Excel. It's also available as a Google Sheet. And this is a spreadsheet that you can use to fill in some of the things that we talked about. Your goals, uh, it's got also a balance sheet in there. We talked about this before, not today, but your assets, liabilities, figure out what your net worth is. Also the income statement, so spending and saving. And it also has a little snapshot to organize all of this for you. And I will confess, this was adapted from someone else. I did not create it, so I can't take credit for it. But because I didn't create it, it may not line up necessarily one-to-one -to, -one to everything that I said, but it generally gives you the outlines of what we talked about. So this is a resource available for you for free that you can check out to help you put your plan together. Now, that's the budgeting piece. Now, let's talk about money saving tips. Because okay, let's say you go through your monthly spending plan, you got your goals, monthly spending, you're like, okay, I just gotta, I just gotta cut. I wanna cut my spending. I know I'm spending too much, but I don't even know how to go about it. Okay, I'm gonna give you some tips. How to save the most. This is the, this is the thinking process that we go through in our household. Number one, start with your largest expense. And for most of us, housing is gonna be our largest expense. So saving $500 a month on housing is one decision that you make that may be the equivalent of making 100 decisions at the grocery store saving $5. You, you understand what I'm trying to say here. The, the weight and the uh, friction of the decision-making process is significantly higher when you're saving nickels and dimes at a time, when you can exert essentially much less energy to save a huge chunk at one time when you start on your largest expenses. So largest expenses usually, uh, home, housing, uh, student loans or debt of some sort, vehicles, transportation slash car payments, gasoline, things of that nature, um, and groceries would, for some people, would be in that category. But so you want to start with the largest expenses, start there because your mental energy is going to be better utilized. Now related to that, you want to start with single decisions that create recurring savings. So let's say you have subscriptions like cable or magazine subscriptions, or gym membership. Uh, in this case, I also include insurance providers and cell phone carriers. You make one decision to make that switch that might save you, I don't know, 20, $25 a month. But over a period of time, that one decision is gonna continue to save over time. So that is gonna be your best bang for your buck. And so if you combine the two, the number one thing that you wanna save on is gonna be your largest expense that is gonna be recurring. So that's, like, that's why I mentioned the house payment or rent, things like that. 
The third item here is to buy used, especially the bigger the purchase, the more value you will receive from buying used. So cars, I talked about that a lot already. If you're you know, buying a tractor or lawnmower, things of like that, appliances, electronics, tools, books and clothes, you know, I'm working my way down in the value uh, chain here, uh, but thrift stores, thrift stores. I have talked with people where they have told me that shopping for them is therapy. Have you heard of the term retail therapy? Like some people, they just, they find it exhilarating to walk out of a store with their arms, with bags hanging off, walking out like, like this. You know what? Sometimes even members of my own family feel that way. So you know what we do? We let them loose in Samaritan Center. Say, knock yourself out. Whatever you want. And we come out with a big trolley full of stuff, you know, like big playground sets for the kids. And it's like $25, you know? So you can game ourselves, right? Like we can, we can still gain that satisfaction of walking out with a full cart worth of goodies if we're just careful. Another place that you don't want me to go is a used bookstore. And I'm going to get on, off on a little tangent because I happen to work in the online industry uh, with Audioverse and a lot of people just assume you must be a digital, digital guy. And I'm like, when it comes to books, I like paper books. And one of the big reasons is that you can go to a used bookstore or a thrift store and buy a book for 10 cents, but you will never find an ebook for 10 cents. Sorry, just never gonna happen. And so used bookstores, thrift stores, uh, buying used cars, things of that nature. Facebook Marketplace is a great place for that as well. So that's another uh, thing you, you can think about for saving. And then the last one here, sleep on it. If you are tempted to buy something on impulse, sleep on it. And the larger the purchase amount, the longer you need to sleep. <laughs> or, uh, you know, wait a few more days, maybe is a better way of putting it. Because a lot of times the emotions are like intense. I need this and I need this now. You go home, you sleep on it. The next day you're like, I'm so glad I didn't buy that. That would have been a disaster. Well, I won't tell you how often that happens uh, to me, but this one principle has saved me from a lot of heartache. And so the bigger the price tag, the longer the wait. Now one other note I will say about this is why do we sleep on it? It's to figure out whether we truly need it. And one of the things my wife and I have often talked about is like, how do we know if we really need something? How do you know? For us, I don't know if we ever fully defined it, but it's like the, three, the three X rule. Roughly three times if we, with a, a reasonably short period of time where we're like feeling the need for something if it happens on a recurring basis, like three, four, five times, that's a pretty good indication. So driving one car, you know, maybe it's time for a second car. That happens to be a conversation my family and are, we're having right now. And in the last month, we've had like four or five times where we're like, you know what, if we had another car, th this would be a very easy problem to resolve. And so now we're starting to think, okay, we've been sleeping on it. Maybe it is time to get another vehicle. For you, it might be something else, right? But this process of being patient and sleeping on it and don't be ruled by emotion, that's the principle. All right, so now other random tips. I talked about cell phone plans earlier, and this was one of the things that uh, I'm not sure as many people are aware of, but that is that there are these things called prepaid cell phone plans, and they are run by MVNOs, mobile 
virtual network operators, I think is what the abbreviation stands for. And these are cell phone carriers that run on the same major networks as all the big players, T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon, but they cost a lot, lot less. And so for my wife and I, we both have, we both have iPhones. We have um, a plan that runs us approximately $23 per month and for data and, and the rest. It's not unlimited. If you want unlimited, pretty much, if you're paying above $40 a month for unlimited cell phone plan, you're probably paying too much. And so cell phone plans, there are lots of different ver you know, carriers that run on the different networks. Just do a quick Google search. There are dozens and dozens of them, so I'm not even gonna list them here. But I just, I've run into people where they're paying well over $100 a month for cell phone plans, for features that they don't need, and they can get pretty much everything for less than half of what they are currently paying. So I want to mention that in case that is of interest to you. But then another one is to learn to cut hair. And this is particularly true for men. Women's hair, I'm not even gonna go there. But for me, uh, I did the math, okay? I looked it up. Recently, uh, around here, men's haircut, depending on where you go, runs between 20 to $30 each cut. And the way that my hair grows, I'll be cutting my hair at least once a month. And so that's over $300 per year. And as long as my hair keeps growing, uh, we're going to keep saving. So that's, uh, that's one tip that we have in our home. Optimize your insurance. You only want to insure what you really need. And we're going to talk more about insurance in our last night on night number six. But insurance is one of those places where it is a recurring cost and it's one of the things I detest paying for the most. Of course, we're thankful to have insurance when we need it, but it's like every month the money just disappears into thin air. You're just paying for nothing that you can touch or feel. And so you need to optimize your insurance, not be overinsured, but yet be adequately insured and to shop around to make sure that you're getting the best rates. Because this again is one of those big ticket items when you aggregate all the insurance plans that you have, that one decision might save you over and over and over again uh, after one switch. Another one, health-based principle, go plant-based. Cutting back and eating less meat is good for the wallet and also beans are cheaper than beef. That's just a matter of fact. And also more, moreover, just protecting our health and maintaining our health is gonna save on medical expenses. One of the biggest cause of bankruptcy in the United States is medical bankruptcy. This one I'm probably gonna get some hate. Reconsider pets. Now, let me, let me preface this. Pets are wonderful. I know my dad and his dog, like his blood pressure has gone down since he got this dog, and it's wonderful. So I, I'm not opposed to pets per se, but I do, I do think, because I've seen it, people get into financial distress when they are in a financially tenuous position, and they are obligated, because they are humane and kind owners to their pets, that they have all of this money going out to their fur babies when they themselves are financially struggling. So you, the, the pets are wonderful if you can afford them. If you are in a financial position that you are able to take care of them adequately, all right? And so I've just seen it with my own two eyes where a, a nice cuddly animal is what's keeping a person from being financially free. And so I understand the emotional attachment is difficult, uh, but that is something that I believe should be mentioned. And the last point here is just embrace the weird. Sometimes 
you know, my wife and I, we had to get over this. We actually wrote a blog to like just tell everyone how weird we were and just got a, we just got over it. Because we've been in those situations where we hang out with our friends and they're living a lifestyle that we just simply can't keep up with. And it's awkward. Sometimes it's embarrassing. They do things that we can't participate with and we feel bad. Well, the Bible says that God's people are a peculiar people. So let's embrace the peculiar, even when it comes to uh, how we spend our money. So the, the core of that really is we just need to be not driven by what other people think. Because how often is it that what we spend is purely driven by what we think other people are going to think about us? Oh, I can't be seen wearing that. I can't be seen driving that. What are my people at the office going to say to me? They're going to be making fun of me and all of these things. We just need to be willing to be different and not keep up with the Joneses. All right, so sometimes we simply need more income. We're winding up here. Going back to Fanny, it might be that she just needs to earn a little bit of uh, more income. So these are just a few ideas. You can work overtime, sell things you don't need, upgrade your skills, get promoted, rental properties, if that is something that you're interested in, real estate, starting a business, side hustle, odd jobs, hobbies that pay. These are just a sampling of some of the things that uh, I've, I've heard about, read about, I know people that do. But really the main point I want to highlight is what's bolded on the bottom. What I have observed in my ministry in this area of personal finance is that the temptation to, to gamble or to speculate into something uh, that promises high gains is especially acute when people feel in financial distress. When somebody is in a situation where it's, coming, it's caving in, the walls are coming in, the creditors are at their door, the debt is just overwhelming. They're looking for a magic pill and they think, oh, I just got this thing in the mail. I just got this email. I just heard this uh, seminar or whatever on, on social media or YouTube that's promising like these sky high returns. That's the worst time for people to get duped by the scam artists and the Ponzi schemes and all of these types of things. There is no get-rich-quick scheme, and uh, you just need to be mindful not to fall for the allurement of quick riches. And so other income ideas, the Bible says, by the sweat of their brow, you shall eat bread. That's what God said to Adam after the fall. There is going to be work involved, and we just need to accept that and be okay with it and not be tempted to go the easy way that leads to destruction. And so to close, I want to give you this promise. We talked earlier about having a plan, counting the cost. You're going to build a tower. You've got to make sure that you have your budget in order. But we also want to remember that we serve a God who, has, um, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we have a God that we can turn to while we do our part to count the cost, do our part in, 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 in laying out our, our goals and our plans and living by a budget, but we need to surrender those plans to God and continue to trust that he can make up the lack. He can still multiply the loaves and the fishes. He still multiplies the widow's oil. He can still raise the dead uh, back to life. And so he can supply all of our needs. So we can trust in the Lord as we do our part uh, to manage our money for him. So I'm going to conclude here with a word of prayer. But then after that, for those of you who would like to remain, we will have some questions. 
And uh, I don't know if Sean or someone will, will roam with the mic, but let's go ahead and pray as we close for now. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who cares about even the mundane. You care about the dollars and cents. You care about our budget. You care about the stress that we have as we deal with loans and debt and expenses and bills. And so, Lord, we claim this promise that you will supply all our need in Christ Jesus. May we trust in you. May we do our part to budget wisely, to spend judiciously, and to save for your glory. Bless us this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.